Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, you, you, you've got your wish. We've uh, we've finally got the guest you've been wanting to get for, uh, I don't know, months. The most prolific author on our staff. And um, sorry, Mitch, but that's just the way it has to be. I mean, we're, we're just, we're, we're well, talking, we're talking facts here. She's, she's new Mitch. I mean, that's a, she's just pumping books out. Yeah, she just brought, she brushed Mitch aside, you know what I mean? Which yeah, is who's good. Mitch? So, somebody needed to. And, um, you know, I mean, hey, you know, he had his turn and uh, and now it's Helena St. James and we're thrilled to have her in her. And, and Carlos, we'll talk about your team. We're going to get to the current hockey team in a bit, but we we really want to talk about our new book called uh, On the Clock. And that's with a colon. That's how important this title is. On the Clock, Behind the Scenes with the Detroit Red Wings at the NHL Draft. They came out earlier this fall and then you could buy where, Helena, everywhere you buy books. All your favorite Every, places? Everywhere you buy books, uh, in all booksellers and online, including Amazon. And if you want it personalized, to give it as a great gift, uh, reach out to me, hstjames at freepress.com, and I'll be happy to personalize it and mail it to anyone you want. Well, that's awesome. I'm sure Carlos would also be happy to autograph it, too, because he probably thinks he had something to do with it. In in some way, Helena, this is a. I just want to know who's going to play me in the movie. That's all I care about. You know, it's funny, Helena. I mean, this is a, is a really Danny fun DeVito. Yeah, <laughs> that's Sean. No, no, that's that's Sean. Oh yeah, no, you can't project like that. No, that's great, Helena. So, what, what's fun about there's lots of fun things about this book, but what's amazing, Helena, is you, you just the idea of how many great great players can one franchise find in the sixth round, the seventh round, the eleventh round, right? I mean. Obviously, they've had some stars at the top, including Iserman, which you start with, which is great. But but uh, I know you live it every day and you've been around this team forever. But in compiling this book, did it kind of did it it give you a, not pause, but just think, oh, my gosh, this is really, really something. Is it, and is it luck or, or what? what? What's your thought on all this talent they found and all those long, long way, uh, uh, long part, excuse me, I can't speak, the higher parts of the draft? It's certainly partly luck, and I think it goes to show the fact that even today, you know, when all teams have scouts everywhere and, you know, they they talk to players, they they do personality evaluations, which I discuss in the book, uh, they certainly wish they had done more thoroughly with, with Bob Probert. But, you know, they have analytics, and even today, um, you know, they by no means is it an exact science. I think the hardest thing you'll or you'll take out of this book the hardest thing to do is judge what is an 18 year old going to be as a 20 year old as a 22 year old uh you know there's a great great quote in there from Jim Nill who used to run Detroit amateur draft uh, now the general manager of the Dallas Stars saying you know he he couldn't have predicted what his kids would turn out to be uh, you know and he he raised them much less than try just picking any 18 year old and yeah you may see him six, seven, eight, nine, ten times if he's a high round pick. 
but you still don't really know, you know, what, what's his heart going to be like? What's it, what's he going to be like when you, you really struggle when the attention is on him? And I think that's, that's what teams, nobody can figure that out to an exact science. Carlos, right, so, uh, go, go I got to I got to just, we got to back up. I'm going to give you a chance to, to apologize and recant Helena. You just said you wish that they wish they may have done a personality test better or something on Probert. Like, are you insinuating he may, he should maybe not have been picked or is that, is that what you're saying? No, but you know, nowadays there, there's so much that goes into really knowing uh, the personality or the character, especially of a high round pick. And back then, you know, it was just, what can he do on the ice? But I mean, there were signs back then and, you know, they might still have drafted him. Uh, I mean, he, he was a heck of a player, but you know, all his off ice issues, they were there uh, back when he was a teenager as well. And that's just something that, you know, you, you there really wasn't any attention put on that, or it just wasn't part of the scouting process back then. You know, I mean, he was a phenomenal player, uh, or turned out to be an, an incredible player, but you know, there were uh, there were other issues with him. Well, in fair in fairness, real quickly, we used to sweep all that under the rug as a society, not just in scouting oh, absolutely, of, absolutely of, of and, NHL franchises, right? Yeah, no, and in in my first book. The Big 50, the men and moments that made the Detroit Red Wings, I talk about that with Terry Sawchuk. I mean, there is no question he needed professional help. But uh, back then, you know, if you drank too much, it was just, well, uh, sober up and get back to work. Uh, you know, the whole off-ice issues just weren't uh, something that that was addressed, certainly. Well, and goalies, I mean, back then, especially, everybody, everybody called them, like, touched or crazy and it's like, and to play without a mask. I mean, like you, you weren't going to you weren't going to dig too deep, probably in the personality profile. But hey, so let me say this about Probert. So, okay, first of all, this is a fantastic book. If you're a Red Wings fan, even just a hockey fan, this is a this is a really great book. And I'm not just saying this because I owe Helene a lot of money, but it's it's absolutely true. And the part about Probert, um, he he's in the book, you know, throughout. But the part um, when she talks about how they drafted him and where he came from and this, let me just read you this one sentence. This is this is an example of the kind of writing you should aspire to, Sean. She says, she writes, he fought opponents and fought the law. He scored big goals and got busted for cocaine. And he sold jerseys. He was a combination of big, skilled, and tough. Not seen in a Wings uniform since Gordy Howe retired. This is really good. I mean, and it's like this throughout, Sean. I mean, you really should study this as like a guidebook for, for better writing for columnists. So, um, but it's like this. I mean, it, it, it was the, the stuff about Probert and Koser and all these guys. Um, and we can get into it too. What, what Sean's asking about, you know, how they find these guys in the later rounds. And you have a fantastic chapter about Hawk and Anderson, um, who was a salmon fishing guide, I think. And, and somehow gets, yeah. Yeah. And, and he gets like, talked into scouting for the wings and yeah he just finds uh who did he find like uh, holmstrom dotsuk zetter but he helped find out i yeah. mean it was like insane and holmstrom is what an 11th rounder or 10th rounder something like yeah, that yeah 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 and and i mean the joke about him used to be he was he's the only player to come out of sweden who couldn't skate uh <laughs> you know but but i mean he found a way uh to stick around and win four stanley cups and that's why you know um having those later rounds, you, you take a chance if he doesn't, I mean, so few of them ever make it that, you know, it's no loss making a selection 
uh, on a guy like on a guy like that because if he doesn't make it well, it's not like you missed out on anybody. But if he does, you look like a genius. You know, I mean, that's even even in 1989 when it came to the fourth round and they chose Sergei Fedorov, the Iron Curtain was still up. They weren't sure they were ever going to get him, but Jimmy DeVolano at the time just thought, well, you know, at worst, maybe we never get him. But if we do, then we got the best 18-year-old in the world in the fourth round of the draft, uh, you know. I I, I think, uh, you know, and I'm no Detroit Detroit historian, sports historian, but it, it, at least in the last, in my, let's say the last 30, 40 years, I don't think you can find a and and like you said i know a lot of this is luck but to go back to back years sixth round seventh round uh and i always get this confused is zetterberg or datsuk or datsuk or zetterberg i think it was zetterberg datsuk to go back to back years that late in the draft and find two hall of fame players that are the foundation of a uh, and i know lidstrom was still around but the foundation of a stanley cup or back-to-back stanley cups in, a, in one t- one title that can you think of another scenario at least in this area and no, last, and, and, that, and the funny thing was... I mean, that's was, crazy. That's yeah. crazy. No, and, and the funny thing was, in, you know, in 99, they were trying to go for a three-peat and had traded away their first and second, their their top picks in order to get players. And it ended up, they didn't, you know, obviously get a third cup. And when they showed up at the draft, they were all, you know, just kind of sour about how things had gone down. And Jimmy DeVolano joked that let's just trade all the picks and go home. And lo and behold, they get Henrik Sutterberg. <laughs> and, you know, it really, I mean, you know, that amazing playoff streak, it was extended because of Datsuk and Sutterberg. You know, the team knew, I mean, at some point you're going to pay for being so good and for never having, a, you know, a top 10 or a top five pick. But then they find those two and they transform the franchise back into, you know, they 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 just reignited the competitiveness of it and, you know, 10 years later in two couple, I mean, Datsuk was on that O2 team, that amazing O2 team, uh, you know, the, but those two, yeah, they, they found a way to, to keep, keep the franchise competitive. I always wonder just with the drafting, you know, I mean, the Red Wings obviously were really smart to go after Europe and Russia at a time when nobody was really doing it yet. Um, but this whole thing, like you mentioned with the personality testing and the, all the science now and the metrics and all this stuff and the analytics and I, everybody's trying to become the NFL, which probably isn't a good thing, I think, because you have people, I think in hockey, there's there's something to be said for the feel and for the eye test. And like, can can, can this person help us in a way? Do they, do they have to be the fastest skater? I mean, I grew up in LA, you know, as a Kings fan. And what did everybody say about Luke Robitaille? He couldn't skate. He was slow. He couldn't skate. Oh, is he ever going to be able to do anything? Well, he can score, but he can't skate. Um, and he was like a ninth round pick or something like that, 10th or something late. He's a Hall of Famer, obviously. Um, you know, and someone like, you know, Franzen and, and these guys, you know, like uh, Zetterberg, not the biggest guy, all these little things, you know, like I think sometimes you have to look past. And I mean, I, I, this is almost like the Probert thing. Like, you know, yeah, he's not an angel. But he's going to become an icon for this franchise. He's going to help us in ways that we really need it. Um, and, and that's where I, I, I think the Red Wings, and this is part of it, one of the things I love about going to the Red Wings and covering the Red Wings and following them and everything is that they're the anti-Lions. They have the kind of luck that the Lions never have, have had in scouting and drafting and everything else. I mean, like Hawking Anderson is an example, right? You just find this dude who gets talked into helping you scout 
um, not really his thing necessarily. Um, and it, it all works out. It's like everything they touch is kind of gold under Jimmy Devolano when he takes over, even after, I think you wrote that uh, in the book that when Illich bought the team, it was after the draft, right? It was a month before. So the, the 82 before. draft, uh, the Illich family, they really didn't have any impact or, or say over it. And the 83 draft was really the first one I think you can c- consider, you know, that Illich had a stamp on. And, and you know, I go into that extensively, how, you know, Jimmy D, I mean, or, or why, you know, Pat LaFontaine made so much sense. They had 2,500 <laughs> season ticket holders when they, when they bought the, the franchise, you know, and here you have this guy from your backyard, just an amazing, phenomenal player. It made all the sense in the world. And, you know, that's why, as I write in the book, the extent that Mike Illich went to, to try and draft him, including essentially trying to buy him from the New York Islanders. And, you know, Jimmy DeVolano talks, he talked to me specifically for the book. And, you know, he said, you know, he felt kind of bad and realized it was his fault why Mike Illich thought only Pat Lafontaine could come in and help the franchise because he knew Steve Eisenman was essentially, you know, they were the similar players, just Steve Eisenman wasn't from Metro Detroit, uh, you know, and, and it turned out, I mean, you know, talk about a consolation pick. Steve transformed the franchise then and came back and did it again as a general manager making his own draft picks. But that's... I mean, that's, that's, if, if they were the Lions, you know, like the Lions, they draft Eric Ebron and not Aaron Donald, you know, and it just, you know, the franchise gets set back. But the Red Wings, oh, yeah, we would have had LaFontaine or Iserman, and we didn't really get the guy that everybody thought. But, you know, he just ends up being a legendary icon. That's all. And the general manager now and the team president, whatever, you know, like it's just everything with the Red Wings just works out all the time, even if, even right now. You know, the reason Sean hasn't been to, you know, a Red Wings game in seven years or whatever is because they haven't been to the playoffs. He's waiting for that. That's when he, he shows up just for the big moments, Lena. You know that. Uh, but even then, as we see, and I, if Sean read your excellent stories recently about the 20 thoughts through 20 games, all the little steps they're taking, how they're in position, if not in the division right now, just inside, the, just in the wild card chase too, uh, to make the playoffs. So things are, they hire a new coach, rookie. NHL head coach, and it seems like it's all going right. Meanwhile, Dan Campbell over there, it's like, who knows what's happening? There's good things, bad things, whatever, but nobody really knows. But uh, you know, well, maybe, right. maybe while Dan Campbell is over talking to the Red Wings, Derek Lalone can go over and talk to the to the Lions. He has uh, it the wrong way. When he when I read that, <laughs> I remember reading your story. I'm like, no, no, it's got to be the other way around. You know, <laughs> you don't want Lions. You don't want Lions Juju coming over there and and messing with the Red Wings. Helena, uh, you know, the other thing about that '83 draft, because it, it, Devolano liked um, another player too that went—I uh, can't remember if it was one or two—but the the funny thing, one of the funny things is those two franchises that were one and two are are moved to uh, Minnesota and uh, Hartford, right? So it just it just speaks to how long ago that was. But the idea that I, yeah, Eiserman at four, right, is the best player that yes. that draft. I mean, you know, uh, where what cider was. I'm trying to remember. He was six. six. You know, it's probably too soon to call that one, but he's going to be uh, pretty good to, to is is it pretty close to is anybody else in that draft, I bet, before it's done. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in the top 10, you certainly should get a, a guy, should be able to get a guy most drafts who can really move the needle on your franchise. Cider was, uh, you know, I mean, 
Calder Calder Trophy uh, rookie of the year. So uh, a phenomenal pick. I mean, you see you see how Steve the impact he has had, and I talk about that. That's that's the bookend chapter at, at the end. Uh, you know, talking about Steve as general manager and. Uh, he was he was very nice and sat down and talked to me specifically for the book, but just you know the what went into drafting Moritz Sider, but you know already he, he's come in. Lucas Raymond, his next top round pick, has come in. I mean, without those two, we're, you know, we're not as excited uh, watching the Red Wings uh, up in the press box. But those two have come in and just you know kind of turbocharged the rebuild, in my opinion. And I think they're coming out of it now. And I think it goes, you know, Steve. Steve is, as a general manager, like he was as a player, just an incredible hard worker, methodical. I was talking to Brendan Shanahan about him uh, when they were here for the 97 and 98 celebrations earlier. And he said, you know, Steve, he would always be the guy if he didn't know something about a topic, he would the next time you saw him, he would be, you know, an expert because he would have read everything up on it. He's just very, very thorough. And that's why, you know, he knew the impact he made as a player via the draft. And he knows the only way to get the Red Wings into the playoffs again is to have several successful drafted. You're not going to do it with just one, but you have to have draft after draft after draft. You know, and the thing is there were 26 teams when he was a player and there was no salary cap. Now he's trying to do it with 32 teams and a salary cap. It's, it's just, it's, it's so much harder. Well, speaking of this, real quickly, Carl, speaking of the current team, we want to get into this a little bit more, but we need to take a break. First, and pay some bills. And um, for the listeners out there that can't see where Helena is speaking from, I- I'm looking at her kitchen. I think, and uh, and and I want she can tell us when she comes back. But I, w- I want to know if you have a washer or dryer in the kitchen, as so many other Europeans do. <laughs> yeah, I had it. I had it installed just for that. <laughs> just well, the dishwasher, Sean. <laughs> j- j- just just to keep uh, you know keep a little bit of uh, home over here, so so to speak. In any case, we will be right uh, back to talk about the current wings and more uh, cur- the current drafts with Alina St. James and uh, I guess regrettably Carlos Menares. Uh, but let's uh, let's pay some bills first. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, uh, it's fun to talk hockey. You know, you've you've been talking it about is. this for a long time. It's really fun. It's even more fun to have the great Helena St. James, the prolific Helena St. James. But I think it's time uh, we, we talk about the present. And I know you have lots of questions. What would you like to ask about these uh, playoff looking? I don't want to say bound. It's a little bit early. But if playoffs started today, they'd be in, right? So they won, what, four or five? And, um, you know. They're, they're you're, you're jinxing good. them because we're recording this before it gets published uh, in a couple of days. So, well, you're right. Uh, they could, uh, I guess, they could. They, but the game that is going to be played bef- both between this recording and the published, <laughs> uh, they should win, right, Helena? I mean, I don't know. It's uh, we're getting a little uh, back to the future here. But anyway, what what, do you, what are your questions, Carl? About no, I, I I mean, I I referenced it a little bit earlier, but just um, it seems like from what Helena wrote, I, I think it was in your. 
Well, you meant you you had a good point uh, in the article about uh, when they lost to the to the Maple Leafs. Uh, disappointing, kind of a strange game. Billy Huso didn't have a great game, got pulled, and uh, 44 shots, but they still lose. And it, unfortunately, Shaw didn't go to that game because he didn't realize Austin Matthews is basically the East Coast uh, Connor McDavid. The no, only I know, NHL I, and I always, I, I always confuse him with the baseball player. But no, I uh, yeah, no, Helena's yeah, point, and I, we should let her talk about this. Is that they they kept there? I think the word was structure, right? Yeah, but they showed they showed some yes. grit and toughness, especially in the third period. And a year ago, that would have turned into a far uglier game. I think that was the point you were trying to make. Yes, I, I that and that's what what I've really been impressed with them first quarter of the season is just the structure that they're playing with. I think you know you can credit that a lot. They they're really buying into Derek Lalone and the system he wants them to play. Just take out, eliminate risk, and the rewards will come you know, with offense and goals. And we've seen that for the most part. They've had some couple of ugly games here and there, but for the most part, they they just, and they look, you know, they, they had a pretty good start last year, but it looks different to me because I think there's just better structure, underlying structure. And then, you know, there's just, I mean, the additions that Steve made, uh, you know, David Perron has made such a difference to the power play. It's actually, it's actually, you know, it's it's an actual advantage for them again, which it really ha- it hasn't been for so many years. It was just painful to watch Dominic Cooper League. I mean Ben Sherratt, Bilahuso, uh, guy he traded for and then signed. Those are the guys that have just made such a significant difference, and they're why you know they they keep sticking around inside that playoff picture. And it used to be that if you were in the playoff picture at U.S. Thanksgiving. Uh, you probably you had pretty good chance of being there uh, at Easter or, or you know in in April and May. Uh, I think it's a little bit different now. Um, you know, may, maybe with the feast of the Epiphany or Valentine's Day, we need to come up with a different holiday. What, did, what about did you say Canadian? I mean, as opposed to Canadian Thanksgiving. That's October. I mean, that would be tough. You know, that's like two <laughs> weeks into the season. So uh, you know, I, <laughs> I think that's a little judging. early. That's, that's a little, a little not that's not for Carlos. Carlos likes to make judgments, you know, after one game for for out of eighty two or whatever. So yeah, he does always text and say, "Well, you know, where should I stay in the playoffs when they play Tampa in the first <laughs> round? Uh, should I stay in Clearwater or so?" So was the secret. Clearwater is beautiful, by the way. Clearwater is, is nice, and Carlos I know has another question or lots of them, but. Uh, so is the secret that he just imported the St. Louis Blues? Is that is that the joke you're making a little bit? More, I mean, less, by he yeah. I mean Steve Eisenman, of course. Yeah, yeah, he really rated the Blues that, uh, and at every position, goalie, defense, forwards. That that's really that's really helped them a lot. Uh, no, you know, I'm gonna uh, go back to mentioning talk. We've talked about a lot about the draft. The two biggest difference makers, or the, or the single biggest difference makers, probably Moritz Sider on defense. Really, starting with last year, he was, uh, you know, just key to, to, they haven't had a quality defenseman like that uh, since Nicholas Cronwall retired. Uh, so, you know, but, but then, you know, Steve has drafted well, and then he's made really smart additions in free agency this summer and added, you know, a final, final area that needed his stamp was, uh, or needed his guy was behind the bench. And now, you know, he's done that as well. What do you think about, um, Lalonde, I think you mentioned that it was, uh, you wrote that it's almost laughable how he refuses to accept that they're actually on the playoff bubble or inside, you know, a playoff contender. And it's always seemed to me from his intro press conference 
uh, that it's his MO was going to be, uh, you know, under, under promise and over deliver, you know, and let's set, let's not, I think you mentioned managing expectations, you know, and, and it makes sense, but you also have to be realistic and that this team wasn't that far away from a wildcard spot last year under Blaschel. And they've gotten so much better through free agency, through the draft a little bit, through guys coming up that, that Iserman drafted all the additions. I mean, they look, it's funny because it's even while they're being more responsible, you would think that um, that would be boring hockey, but it's not. It's actually more fun to watch. Uh, it's exciting. They they look like they look organized um, on special teams and the power play. Um, but is Lalonde like wh- what's it going to take for him to admit that? Yeah, we're we're trending in the right direction. We might we might head to the playoffs. Is it just verboten to say that? It's interesting. Yeah, because he said it. Numerous times, you know, that it's it's their will that's gotten them to where they are, not not skill. And, you know, he references Tampa uh, mul- multiple times saying, you know, how different it was. You know, they had skill to just, you know, they could they could have two ba- periods and then ha- they had the skill to just go out and win in the third. And this team doesn't, you know, so I think I think he's just very realistic about what he has uh, I and I do think ultimately, you know, yeah, they've had a really good first quarter. Uh, now December's going to get a little bit tougher. Uh, you know, they they have Vegas uh, coming in Saturday. They're going to be in Tampa and Florida next week. You know, those are all teams with elite skill. And how are they going to fare against them? And ultimately, to me, what you really are going to judge this team by is how are they doing in February and March when the games get a lot tougher because teams are fighting for playoff positioning? Because that's where we saw them, you know, just fall apart and have some of those horrible, horrible blowout losses. Uh, you know, they they really just they they couldn't they couldn't stand stand up to that. And that's where I think you know this season that's going to be the telling part is can they will they still be there? when the games intensify coming out of the all-star break. Do you think though, that the, the difference this year is adding a couple of those vets, a few of those vets and Perone in particular, you mentioned with the, with, with the power play. I mean, last year, um, you know, especially if somebody started missing time, the, the depth just wasn't there. And I'm not saying this team is super, super deep, but I mean, look who they're missing now and they're, they're still kind of rolling right along. It just seems like to your point about those, uh, free agency acquisitions, just having older dudes around sometimes. You're talking about the organization and the structure. It's just, it's easier to do that. Yeah, you know, and and I mean, they, they kind of calm things down if things go badly. Um, but I think, you know, second game of the season, they lose Tyler Bertuzzi to a broken hand and then Jacob Rana goes into the player's assistance program. Those are two guys that we're counting for you know, those were two hugely... A lot of maybe, offense, yeah. Yeah, like two of their most... Two, maybe their two, you know, just most instinctively skilled goal scorers on the team. And, you know, but this is where the brilliance of signing Dominic Kubelik. He goes from the fourth line to the first line and is just a joy to watch. He's so much energy, you know, always getting into a scoring spot. And then, you know, we go back to the draft. They call up uh, Jonathan Berggren, 2018 second-round pick, comes in and you know, looks at home right away, score, uh, gets an assist his first game, scores his third game, that that kind of depth is what makes a, a big difference. And, uh, and, and and those guys, yeah, they've come in and made the team better. And, and, you know, the depth was really challenged when they lost those two guys the first week of the season, but they managed to hang on. And I think that 
that also really impacted the rest of the team and kind of showing the guys who had been here for a while, like, look, this isn't going to be like in the past, you know, because in fairness to Jeff Blaschel, he never had a team like this. I mean, the Wings were a one-line team, barely a one-defense pairing team. You know, look at Philip Hronik, how he's thriving. Well, because he's slotted correctly now, you know, he's not being asked to do everything like he was up until Sider's arrival last year. Uh, it's amazing when when one guy, when you just are able to slot guys where they belong, everybody thrives. Everybody, you know, everybody's, when you put guys in a position to have success, it just facilitates how well they can play. Well, that's the, that's the, the, the thing about this season is that it does seem that things, there's a change, you know, not only, it's, I mean, it's the coaching staff, it's, you know, Alex Tangay running the, the, the power play and everything, or is it the penalty kill that he runs? Um, power play. The power play. Bob Buchner is the PK. Right. Bugner. Yeah. Right. And former head coach, you know, I mean, that guy's got a lot of experience, you know, I mean, that's, it's probably overqualified for that, but, but that's the whole thing. It's all working out, you know, it's all there. Elmer sort of bloom, right. This guy, you know, rookie, he's making an impact. He has a, a big future with this team probably. Um, so here's the, here's the big question is you mentioned they got two guys, two huge guys in contract years with Larkin and Bertuzzi. And there's just no way that they're not, Resigning Larkin. I mean, they're a million dollars apart, right? Eight to eight to nine million dollars, whatever. That dude does so much for this team. I mean, he is the heart and soul of this team. You cannot lose him. I don't have any questions that they're going to resign. But Bertuzzi, there's been a lot of issues, some issues here and there with him. You know, um, do you, if he plays hardball, do you let him go? Do you have to keep him? I mean, he, I think he's still their most ultimately like talented, just natural goal scorer, right? I mean, but can you let him, you know, Iserman obviously doesn't like to let guys go for nothing. So is he going to pull the trigger oh, on a trade oh, if they can't? Yeah, he's not going to let, he's not going to lose him for, for nothing. Uh, if it comes down to that, he'll, he'll pull a trade, you know, and now that there aren't the travel restrictions regarding vaccinations anymore, it's not the obstacle that it was uh, last season. So uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Larkin, I, I agree. Uh, I can't see him playing anywhere else. I mean, he's from here. You know, this is this is his team. Uh, it's it's a matter of time when that gets worked out. Worked out. But Steve, you know, I mean, Steve, he's he's all he's all business. You know, I mean, he's not going to let emotions uh, from, from that's certainly not his history uh, interfere with with what he thinks is best for the team. And you know, I mean, look at. Uh, and what he got for for Anthony Mantha. I mean, Anthony Mantha was from well from the same draft. You know, actually, the Wings moved back two spots in that draft, and that's how they added the extra pick uh, that got them that they then turned into Tyler Bertuzzi. He's from that same draft as Anthony Mantha. So, you know, as Steve has shown, he's willing to get rid of players who look like uh, well, isn't he a big part of the rebuild? Well, maybe not. You know, if they can't come to an agreement, and Tyler. You know, Tyler is fun to watch and he has a nose for the net. He has also missed significant time the past two, three years with, with injuries. And, you know, he had back surgery in uh, in 2021. Um, you know, there's, you know, uh, two games into the season, he's out for a month. And Derek just talked about it uh, today, this week, that, you know, it, it's that he wishes Tyler hadn't missed a month because he missed some significant teaching. Um, you know, that's, I mean, that's where Steve, 
you know, that's that's the business side of his job is he has to decide what's best for the Red Wings. And if it doesn't look like a, a deal is going to an extension is going to materialize with Tyler Bertuzzi, uh, you know, the, the projection is that he'll trade him. Do you think that do you think that I'm sorry, Sean, real quick, with right. Bertuzzi, uh, do you think it cost him at all refusing to get the vaccination and willfully missing those whatever it was 12 13 games in Canada does that does that speak to maybe I'm not a a team guy the way everybody else should be and could that hurt like in his in Eiserman's estimation or whatever well I'll just point out what Steve said when you know he announced that that Tyler wasn't going to get the vaccine Steve did say he got the vaccine his whole family got the vaccine so I think that was kind of his statement on 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 that position. And, uh, you know, the, the wings, uh, he, Tyler didn't get paid for the, for the nine games in Canada that he missed and he had to pay his own way when he met the team coming out of trips in Canada. So. Well, it's too bad. Just the misinformation and we don't, we don't need to rehash that. I mean, you know, I don't know. You could, you could, if you're in Eisenman shoes, you could say he's young and, easily influenced and you know we don't expect our players to be well versed in science and world affairs at 24 whatever but um 25 you're gonna say easily influenced by todd bertuzzi but go ahead. <laughs> well yeah and you can't hold it against somebody that it grows up in a certain way you're right i mean it's it's i mean maybe you can't eventually they keep doing certain things i just think i just think a lot of the red wings i mean if you just left it up to them a lot of guys in hockey probably would have not gotten the vaccine but they were like hey it's this is maybe a little bit bigger than just me, you know. It's about the team. It's about moving forward. And and Bertuzzi's not just some third line defenseman or something, you know. I mean, he's a valuable, valuable player uh, that should really be looked at as a leader on the team, you know. But uh, but for him to take that stand that way, I thought was was odd. But who knows? I mean, Ky- Kyrie Irving did that right, and it really caused a lot of issues uh, a yeah, year ago. One of like eight thousand things he's done, but yeah. no, I know. Well, but I, and there were some other. The, he's a flat earther guy, right? Yeah, he is. But then there was another example that kind of faded away. But the Golden State Warriors, uh, their player Andrew Wiggins, who's a Canadian, by the way, he didn't want to take it, and uh, eventually ended up taking it because he wanted to be part of part of the team. And 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 I think that's the Carl's point, right? You can. You can just say, hey, I'm going to trust the guys around this organization and believe when they say that this is a safe thing to do to Eisenman. To your point, Helene, about Eisenman saying, hey, with our, our, our whole family has it. But in any case, I, I did want to ask you before we let you go, Helena, do you feel the buzz night in and night out at Little Caesars? I mean, or not feel the buzz, but do you feel a change in the, in, in the vibe and the, in the fans? And, and what about you and your inbox, for example, your emails and how people respond to this team? My inbox is full of people who want a personalized copy of On the Clock, so that's a big positive. <laughs> but no, also you know people people even after you know they they had those losses those where they gave up eight goals to Buffalo and to the Rangers, uh, you know people there's not the there's not the fire the coach and trade everybody reaction that there was you know even late last season. I think people really see a difference, and I think one of the more noticeable things too is just in how the wings start the game. You don't see all the slow starts that they were plagued with for so long. You know, I mean, they actually did start very well against Toronto, and then it's just you know Austin Matthews is Austin Matthews and. You know, you just all he needs is one chance and and it's one one and Toronto has some phenomenally skilled players and they all 
had had a very good night against the wings, uh, you know. But no, my mailbox for the most part is you know people people are really excited about and and I see it at games too that I think people people know the wings are on the right track and it's only a matter of time before they. I personally am having a hard time seeing them make the playoffs this season. Uh, you know, just look at the Atlantic. I mean, you know, Boston is proving everybody who thought they might go on a little bit of a slide wrong. And then you have uh, Tampa and Florida and Toronto. You know, if those are at least three of those are going to finish in the top inside and then the fourth one and probably in the first wild card spot. So we'll see. You know, it's why they, they play the games. And at the very least, I expect the Wings to keep making it interesting. That's about all we can ask for, right? I mean, uh, that they're that they're showing a, a path and um, improvement, and as Carlos uh, likes to say, I mean, few things are as and fun in sports as watching a young team uh, get better, and then kind of getting a sense of wow, this this may be the beginning of something really fun down the road. So, I'll I'll say this that uh, as uh, as an LA Kings fan, they were not expected to make the playoffs last year. They were they're still in the rebuild mode and everything, and it's. Uh, a little bit different. They got older guys, right? Kopitar and, and Dowdy and those guys, they're transitioning into a younger team and all that. And, um, and they made the playoffs and lo and behold, they go against Sean's Oilers and they should have beat them in game six at home in LA. And they blew it because they're not, as you point out, Helena, they're not an elite team. The Red Wings are not an elite team. The Kings aren't an elite team either. You know, they're still finding their way there. So, but that doesn't mean just, just because you're not an elite team and yeah, the Atlantic is, is a tough division, but just because you're not, doesn't mean that if you're, when teams have a good foundation, when they have a fairly recent history of success of knowing how to win, like the Kings do, like the wings do, I think you have, there's something in organizations and hockey that allows them to kind of borrow on that and, and build on it. And it lets you get into the playoffs. And once you get into the playoffs, as you know, you know, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. things can happen. You know, anything. I mean, I when I watch the Kings go against the Oilers and I mean, watching McDavid and Dreisaitl and those guys and uh, Nurse. And I mean, I was like, there's no way. There's no way the, the Kings are going to if they win one game, they'll be lucky. You know, whatever. It's a learning experience. And suddenly I'm I'm ready to put my fist through the TV because they're screwing it up in game six. And it's like and I forgot how fun playoff hockey is. Cause I haven't really watched the the playoffs that much. I usually watch the Stanley cup playoffs, but the finals, but having a team to root for having that excitement. And if Sean, if we ever mail him a map quest, uh, you know, directions to little Caesars arena, he might go to a Red Wings game and see for himself that there is excitement. There's buzz. Uh, I'll, I'll be there. No, I'll be there fairly soon for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's like he's like planning a, an invasion of Poland or something. He keeps talking about maybe going down there, maybe going down. No, there. no, no. It's so uh, maybe, maybe for the last week of the season. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely. I guarantee you, with the with the weight at the uh, Leafs in town, they always show up really well. You know, uh, those fans. It must have been really fun, and it it has been fun just watching that team grow and and what they're doing, what they're building. I love Ben Sherratt just killing dudes all over. You know, when he gets angry, I loved him playing in Chicago. He just, he has a nice energy and strength about him. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a good time to be a wings fan and to be reading Helena's books about uh, two, three, what is it? A four volume set now, like the Harry Potter books. You got all these Red Wings books coming out. That's what I'm a hundred percent working on. It's just going to be like the, 
Exactly. Uh, seven volumes on, on the Red Wings. Uh, no, you know, it's, it's, I, I really enjoyed writing both books and this one specifically, you know, it was interesting to me to go back and, and research just, I mean, the draft started back in the 1960s and in the first one, you know, teams were just like, eh, we don't need to make a pick this round. It, you know, it was just like, it was so completely inconsequential. It really wasn't, you know, until like late seventies, early eighties and, and the wings just, you know, through the 70s, part of the whole Dead Wings era. I mean, they made some terrible decisions that affected their drafting. Uh, you know, th- that uh, it, it really was the 83 draft, you know, really put them on the map with Steve. And I have, you know, a separate chapter in there just called The Men Who Buried the Dead Wings, because that's what that draft did. Uh, you know, that, uh, that that the impact that it has come to had, now it means everything for a team to, to rebuild. You know, so if you... That's kind of the the sequel is you know is a is a prequel, uh, you know. But but the Big Fifty book just goes into the history of of the franchise from the Norris ownership to the Illich ownership. You know, I mean, for ninety years, two families have have owned that franchise, and both have had immense success with it. Well, Helena, oh, what's what's that? I Carlos? have one more question for Helena. How much does this book set us back? And remind us again where we can get it. Twenty dollars uh, is all it costs, and you can buy it at any bookseller uh, online at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Triumph Books, or if you want it personalized, again, you can just email hstjames at freepress.com, and I will be happy to make it out to somebody and put it in the mailbox and uh, send it off as a it's an absolutely fabulous holiday gift well i want to encourage our listeners to do that either reaching out to helena or go to amazon well you don't have to go to amazon whatever i'm not going to make any moral judgment about where you do your online shopping but local booksellers are also great again on the clock behind the scenes with the detroit Wed wings at the nhl draft uh the great helena st james she covers the, obviously the red wings for for the free press and does a fabulous job doing that thank you so much Elena, for joining us and spending some time. My uh, pleasure. Absolutely. We, uh, we look forward to having you on again uh, in the not too distant future because I think this team is going to remain uh, interesting and your writing always remains relevant. So thanks now again. You two, now you two can go back to talking about the powder blue Detroit Lions. Powder well, blue. We're, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> did you, and come back did you and set him about... right? Did you set Lalone straight about Honolulu. that? Honolulu. Yes, I did. Yeah, that, that's funny. That's funny. No, we're going to we're going to deal a little bit with the uh, there was a little college football game in Columbus on Saturday. So I think we're Carlos. Carlos needs to get his thoughts out. Anyway, thanks again, Helena. And we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more free press sports with Carlos and Sean. Hello, I'm Phil Friend, the host and producer of Spartan Speak, a podcast collaboration between the Detroit Free Press and Lansing State Journal focusing on Michigan State sports. Each week, I'm joined by the OGs of the MSU podcasting game, free beat writer Chris Laurie and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch, as we discuss and dissect the latest sports news coming out of East Lansing. Not only is Spartan Speak one of, if not the longest-running MSU sports podcast out there, you won't find a show with two people as clued into the Spartans as Chris and Graham, each of whom have spent a decade-plus covering MSU and bring years of institutional knowledge and insight to the podcast. And once in a while, they'll let me throw out a take as well. Along with discussing the latest news, we'll break down the Spartans' last game in the hardwood and the gridiron. What went right? What went wrong? Jet sweep. Again? For both Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo, get you ready for the next game, make predictions, and so much more. 
We can also guarantee at least one reference to Kalamazoo every podcast. So if you haven't already, download, subscribe, and listen to Spartan Speak on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your podcast app of choice. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, uh, the listeners uh, will never know, but that was like an hour-long break. What, what, what's going on here? Are we, uh, are, we, are we back to doing the podcast? Are we focused? We just, we just enjoy each other's company a little too much sometimes. We do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> and uh, our, that's, that's our actually fan, true. <laughs> our fantastic uh, producer, Andrew Hammond. That's uh, true. That's true. It's, our, it's yeah. great insights. It's fun to catch up with Andrew during the break. So uh, to, to, the, to the listener out there, uh, you'll, you will, because of Andrew and his, as uh, adroit, there's a word you love to use in your columns. Expert. How about that? Is that better? Skilled editing. How about that? Let's yes. keep it. Let's, let's keep it simple. <laughs> Y'all will never know. All right. Um, there we there were a couple of football games last week. We don't need to rehash the uh, the Lions Thanksgiving game. I know you know po- folks were upset with uh, the clock management. A lot of fans. I shouldn't. I should say fans, right? Not folks. There's that. But uh, the bigger the bigger game took place in Columbus, and I haven't really talked to you much about it. I was just kind of curious um, what you thought of the game and. Uh, and uh, is Ryan Day going to be fired now? And is Michigan good enough to win this whole thing? Uh, I thought the game was fabulous. Uh, I think at the end of the second quarter when they were going, just trading scores, it felt like uh, Hagler and Hearns just in the middle of the ring, just just throwing blows, not caring. Just, you know, it was a really fun game at that in that second quarter. And then obviously Michigan pulls away. Uh, J.J. McCarthy... Uh, became the hero you always wanted him to be, Sean, so that you could uh, exalt him adequately. Um, and, uh, and and what a shock. What a shock that, I mean, you know, Donovan Edwards with the, I think, broken hand maybe, um, has that game, you know, when Blake Corum can't go and just, you know, they keep pounding it. He keeps getting those, those chunk runs here and there. Uh, and McCarthy just steps up for the first time when they really needed him to step up. He stepped up first time all year. And that first way, time yeah. all year. Yeah. And then I don't know about, I haven't watched, I'll be honest. I haven't watched a ton of Ohio state this year, but uh, their secondary looked very, very suspect. Um, I was shocked at how poor some of that play was. Um, but Ryan day, I think, I think if, I think if he loses the next year to Michigan, he might he might no. not survive. No, I know. It's, and it's that's it's funny because we don't need to necessarily rehash the game. The Michigan fans are on. A, look, I, I assume they're going to beat Purdue uh, the Saturday night in, in Indianapolis at the big state a Big Ten title game. I assume you think the same thing. It's just a matter of what the seeding in a playoff. They should probably be the number two seed unless Georgia somehow loses in the SEC title game to LSU. Anyway, uh, yeah, man, th- that that's. That's just a different level, right? Ryan Day is what forty-five and four, five, forty-five and five, maybe. <laughs> and he's been to the college football playoff twice. He's forty-five and four over four years, plus a little bit of the COVID year. That's his record. He's won the Big Ten title twice. He's been to the playoff twice. Been to the title game once. He's, you know, but two of those losses are against Michigan. And and, and if you, I'm with you, man. If he doesn't, if he doesn't win next year in Ann Arbor, he he's probably out. Seriously. And that, that's crazy to say with that record, but that that fan base and administration, they are not going back to John Cooper. Yeah, John Cooper, right? Exactly. That's the, that's the comparison. And and you know what? And 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 it was it wasn't like just uh, 
I, I don't remember last year's game as, as clearly, but it just seemed like Michigan just had their way, you know, last year, this year, the Buckeyes just made a lot of dumb mistakes. A lot of just pre-snap penalties, uh, a couple of unsportsmanlike, know, penalties, unsportsmanlike, right? um, dumb things that fall on coaching. Really? I mean, it just, there was a, there was like this, I, I, I watching it on television, but just, it, it's just seemed like they were playing with more desperation or whatever you might want to call it. That, this game meant a lot more to them. Like it was almost like Michigan's in their head. Like we can't lose to Michigan two years in a row. Right. And especially at home for the first time in 20 years, that's not going to happen. Right. It seems like the pressure just got to them. You could just see a tightness. Stroud just didn't well, look comfortable. Yeah. No. And, they, and the crazy part is they, they outplayed them right in the first half. Ohio State almost 350 yards or 340 yards of offense or whatever. Some ridiculous number for the first half. They were up 20, 20 to 17. They had dominated the line of scrimmage. And Cornelius Johnson gets out on an out and slips uh, down the sideline for 69 yards as, as, uh, McCarthy's about to get hit because the Knowles, the defensive coordinator that Day brought in from Oklahoma State for almost $2 million a year, called up a, a, a blitz on third and nine, you know, and that's a big gamble anyway. Johnson gets the touchdown, and then the next possession, he does a double move down the middle, and he's wide open and goes 75 yards for the touchdown. That's two plays, and they had the other drive. I think their first drive was a field goal, so two plays, and they had one drive and a whole half. Otherwise, they were they were physically dominated up front on both sides and outgained um even with those two big plays and they were only up three right yeah i mean they and, were they, they they you know i mean michigan had you know they they i think they i think they 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 played smart and controlled football you know they they just they just didn't they knew that they were going to get their chances they kept trying to even though they couldn't I don't know what they had for the first half of rushing yards. It was almost nothing. Nothing. But yeah. they kept trying to run the ball. One yard, I think, at one point. Yeah. Yeah. They weren't they weren't giving up, you know. And I think that was that was the key. They had a better, I think they have a better secondary. They just seemed to be more like, hey, we're we're not gonna panic here. Um, and they have the better specialists, you know, that that helps too, you know, field position. Um, Jake and they Moody, were just knowing, and they were just tougher. And I hate using that word in football. You know, because a lot of the Ohio State fan base, is, if Carl's is talking about how this isn't a tough team, it's, it's a soft team. I, I don't like using those words in football. That's ridiculous. Or any any human being to uh, to not understand what the what it takes to get out on at that level of football and absorb one hit that yeah. would that would put us on a cane the rest of our <laughs> lives. So the question, and I get it, it's all relative to the sport, right? But they were frustrated. And the, the 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 psychology there. So if you want to question that, that's fine. Uh, I just it's just not t- not not calling football players tough is ridiculous. Anyway, well, um, when the kid when the kid on the side, the the Ohio State player, and there's a the a, a play out of bounds, and he headbutts oh, head the headbutt, yeah. yeah. And the Michigan player right away, what he does to do, he just lifts up his arm like, hey, call a penalty here. Yeah. Yeah. How about mental toughness? That's yeah, yeah, mental yeah. Toughness no, for sure, is. it's mental. It's, it's mental. easy for a twenty year old guy you know, player to like want to retaliate and get angry and start pushing back. And uh, you disrespected and he, me and, and let's get, you know, no, he like, knew, no, he, like, he knew he had him, right. He knew, he knew, he had knew, him. He had the presence he knew his of team. Mind. Yep, Dave, he knew Dave his pulls team. his player off the field. Cause that shouldn't be happening in those moments. You know, it just, it, there was a lack of control there and that, that goes to coaching. 
No, it's true, and and they do have a lot of talent. And I think the other part too is the 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 state of Ohio is apoplectic right now, in part because they think there's such a, another word for you. They think there's such a they're going crazy How about that. Frustrated. They think because there's such a talent difference, right? Because Michigan's three star, because they have some very prominent players. Harbaugh does these turn into really good players and probably future pros that were three star recruits. And they're looking at the talent difference, on, you know, in the recruiting rankings. But, you know, McCarthy and Edwards are both five-star guys, right? So it's not like Michigan doesn't have some talent. But it's funny, Carlos. I was sitting um, at a restaurant uh, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday late afternoon uh, just in Columbus. I a just really checked. Cool, a really cool under-the-radar no, it wasn't. I didn't have time for discovered. Yes. No, I was, I was tired. And um, it was like four. It can never four, be a Shoney's. About about no, it was just a little corporate place. Five o'clock. I got a late checkout. I wrote, finished the column, and it was raining and getting dark. And I had saw the drive back, and um, so I went in to grab a bite to eat. And I'm sitting at the bar, and the guy's talking about the game. And I'm like, and I'm like, what is it with you guys down here? Did Ryan Day is trending on Twitter in your state for hashtag Fire Ryan Day. And he looks at me. He's like, man, if you can't beat the school up north, you can't coach here. And he was dead serious. And he represents, I would bet, ninety five percent of that fan base. How much? And well, how much does it help Michigan that they have Michigan State, that they have two rivals? Right, right, right. Well, it does. It also helps, as we were talking. Uh, I don't know if we were talking about this at the break with our our illustrious producer Andrew, but this idea of it's imp- football is hugely important in Michigan, but it's not quite to the level it is at Ohio State. So there was just resignation in Ann Arbor and among the alumni, uh, the fan base, right? When they were losing, yeah. what, 15 or 16 or whatever it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just kind of, yeah. hey, at least we're not, at least we don't care that much. You know, <laughs> we got our grants over here and our research over here and we're the best public school in the country. You know what I mean? No, seriously, though, you would you would hear a little bit of that. It's not that they, of course, they care about football here. It's huge. It's, it's a really important to their identity, but it's not quite the same. It's and I think with Michigan, I mean, <clears throat> it, it, I it, uh, it's not a great comparison, but it's something that I can kind of I think it's somewhat equal is the UCLA comparison. You know, for my growing up there, is like Michigan. They're so good at so many sports. I mean, there's just their their trophy walls are littered with NCAA trophies and whatever sport you want to name. You know, and I think that there's and there's a sizable following. Like one one thing I would tell our, our kind listener out there is one of the big stories that gets a lot of viewership anytime we write about it is Michigan softball. You know, it's just like people love it. I don't know exactly why they have a huge following. They've been really good for a long time under their former coach, and uh, but now Michigan football, Michigan basketball, and there's Juwan Howard, and the you know they're, they're they just it, it, at the University of Ohio State has yes excellent you know, division one programs throughout as well. They've had up seasons in basketball and, but Michigan just seems to be on a different level than most other big 10 schools. UCLA is like that too. They're just so good at so you, many other sports. You, you, know? you know what else, you know what else I think? And and I have no way to prove this. This is just my, I'm just saying this based off um, experience of being in the Midwest for a long decades and being here for a long, long time and covering this rivalry and being down in Ohio, I would bet there are a lot more alums of Ohio State in Ohio, especially in Columbus, but in Ohio, than there are Michigan alums in Ann Arbor and south in southeastern Michigan, right? Because 
so it's not that Ohio State. Because they all go on to become like captains of industry. No, it's not that. No, it's not that. They move away to better places. No, it's where they're from. You know, the the out of state, the out of state percentage at Michigan is huge. It's almost like a private school in that way. And um, and and I don't know what it is at Ohio State. I'm sure they draw out of state students. Um, I don't know what percentage, but I, I would just. And work so, release probably. Yeah. So I don't know how much of that has to do with it is, is is well. Just this, it's a different kind of sense of community. You know how you can go, you can go to Southern California or parts of Texas or New York, especially and New Jersey and um, parts of Florida, and, and it's just the block M is everywhere, right? It's a national I mean, brand for sure. Yeah, right. I mean, these, and I think the largest alumni group uh and it makes sense because it's the most popular state but is in california outside of michigan yeah it's uh right it's 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 really something but anyway i i I don't we don't need to revisit all of that but uh i i just um it just amazes me what you said at the top of this segment and i don't mean to chuckle because we're talking about somebody's job but i'm with you man if he doesn't beat the wolverines next year in ann arbor I, i i don't know how he survives I'm not talking about getting on the hot seat. I'm talking about survives, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, definitely if he, you know, if let's just say Michigan has a down year and they have an up year and they lose to Michigan, but they still make the college football playoff, they win the Big Ten and, you know, that changes it, right? Maybe, yeah. If it's for all the marbles, again, something similar where they both have one loss or no loss or whatever, something similar. Yeah. I think that three straight years, <laughs> although it'd be worse if it was in Columbus. So if he loses in Ann Arbor, maybe it's, it's context, but yeah, just in the theoretical space of uh, just a third straight loss. Um, yeah. Not, not going to be good. No. In the meantime, uh, we got Michigan playing in the big 10 title game, as we've mentioned. Um, we don't want to completely, uh, dismiss Purdue, but Michigan's going to be favored by a, a decent amount and they probably should win that game and they'll be back in the playoff. And we will, um, we will have uh, a lot more to talk about that. We'll probably get our, our bud back in here. Right. After, uh, uh oh, at some Tony? Point, yeah, Tony, Tony Garcia. We'll, we'll see if we can get him in here at some point before the, before the, uh, the end of the, the end of the year, the, the playoff. But, uh, in any case, I think it's time for your favorite thing, isn't it? My favorite thing, yes. Uh, so my favorite thing, actually, related to this a little bit, what we're talking about is I took my daughter back to her school in Bloomington, Indiana, where uh, I kind of forgot that they were playing Purdue. There was their their home finale, their season finale at, at Indiana, and they were hosting Purdue, their big rival. And uh, that was going to decide, I think because Iowa's loss was going to decide the Big Ten West. And, uh, we're, we're, but we go out to dinner, Sean, and, uh, the game's going on. We just come in miraculously timed it that we come into town in the right around halftime. So there aren't that many cars on the streets. We're able to sneak into this. It's a really good small eatery in Bloomington. I know you like the underground off the beaten path places. It's called family places, family places. Yeah. It's called Texas roadhouse. So I discovered it. And, uh, so we're watching, we're having dinner and watching the game on TV there. And, uh, they have good bread, by the way. Sorry. Excellent. My, yeah, my, my daughter ate almost all the breads so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> with the butter. for myself, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but we're watching it. And, uh, it was just fun to have one last meal with her after spending the, the vacation with her. But, uh, I definitely, wa- we're watching that game and 
I think they won by Purdue won by a couple of scores, but the idea of even having any kind of difficulty with, with Indiana, even into the fourth quarter, not putting the game away, uh, kind of like lets me know that it's, this is as close to like an automatic buy into the college football playoff as Michigan's going to get. So we don't have to worry about the Boilermakers too much. I mean, it's, it, that, you're, you're probably right. Um, that's a great, my favorite, uh, my favorite thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to give you mine here. I'm going to stay in the same uh, vein as you, Carlos. I mean, well, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not. I, I thought about the, the the restaurant I was at hearing the, the the fan talking about the school up north. That was that was funny, and that was a that was a nice, relaxing moment. It's been uh, you know it's been busy and and all that sort of thing. So just to be able to sit before the drive, but but my favorite thing was actually um, going to Ohio Stadium. I, I I have this. It's not a tradition, but I've done this a fair amount over the last. Uh, several years, maybe more than that, on and off for the last 15. I get into the press box and I put my stuff down and then I go out and I find Jim Schaefer's tailgate. Uh, Jim Schaefer, of course, is an editor at the Free Press, was uh, an investigative editor. I think he's got a much higher muckety-muck title now. He's in charge of a lot more people, which is too bad for them. But he was, uh, of course, a fabulous reporter, investigative writer, and Pulitzer winner, so on and so forth. He grew up in Columbus. He went to Ohio State. His den, excuse me, his basement is a Woody Hayes shrine. <laughs> oh. So I go, uh, you know, every year, every time I'm down in Columbus, you, for Michigan and Michigan State, depends. He's not always there for Michigan State because he's a, you know, kind of a bandwagon guy. No, he's not. <laughs> he's not. But anyway, so I, I, I go to the tailgate, and his family's off from there, and I know his family grown up with his kids. And uh, in any case, so I get to the tailgate. It's like six, six or seven tents put together, and they got lights in there and heaters and big screen TVs and all this spread. And one of his friends is a really good cook, and he made homemade muffaladas. And I didn't have time to eat uh, much, really. But I, I just enjoy... I enjoy the walk through the campuses. It's usually a hike, you know, it's usually a 15, 20 minute walk or so to get to where his tailgate is. And it's moved around over the years, but it's just, it's fun to walk through the campus and, the, and there are no leaves at this. Usually in Michigan, the Michigan state, sometimes there's still leaves out, but not for the Michigan game. And, uh, but it's still, it's a nice campus and just going through the tail and, you know, dodging the people that are curious why I'm in neutral colors and um, not in the scarlet, you know, everybody's flipping people off, you know, just a friendly kind of banter that goes on to, to down, down in that spot. But so, yeah, so getting to the tailgate, seeing my, my longtime pal and then uh, having him tell me, yeah, let's have breakfast the next day. Uh, so this would have been Sunday, Saturday. He says, let's have breakfast the next day. Knowing full well that if <laughs> Michigan won, there's no way in hell he'd want to have <laughs> breakfast. And of course, when I called him Sunday morning, and, and I've not talked to him since, I always try to give him a few days because he's not used to this, right? He knows those people are. <laughs> it's only the second. This is the first time they they Michigan's won down there since two, in twenty two years, so it's they're sort of in shock. <laughs> and I uh, anyway, so yeah, he kind of blew me off for breakfast, but I knew that was kind of coming. But anyway, just that whole experience watching somebody who's so rational, reasonable, and fantastic journalist just you know calm and all the, the the right ways as a human being lose his stuff <laughs> and not even not even respond to me i mean we've been good buds for a long time it's just uh i'm not saying that part of it was my favorite thing but just the whole experience of going to the tailgate and, 
and all that. That was, uh, I really look forward to that. Yeah. That was I was great. just thinking about Schaefer because um, the Ohio State thing. And we had him on our, he was one of our guests uh, Early last on, year. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And we had fun talking about the Buckeyes. But I just, I don't know why I remember this prank I played on him during our softball uh, season for the free press on Belle Isle. And uh, I'm walking behind him. He doesn't see me. He dodges into a little tucks, in, you know, ducks into a porta potty, but he leaves a softball bag outside of the porta potty. Goes in, so I run over there and steal his softball bag and hide behind some bushes, and I'm able to watch him and just to see how long is he going to be looking for that softball bag when he comes out. And it's a good. I I, I could only do it for about 15 seconds, and uh, he's ready to kick things down and go into the next porta potty. The guys in there, I'm like, you know what? There may be an incident here. I better I better come clean, but. Uh, Schaefer, Schaefer is one of the all-time good guys. So he is, uh, he, he is, but he turns <laughs> into a different person, right? Because you know, that's okay. Who's, that... Let me ask you this: Who's crazier, him with the Buckeyes or Elric with the Spartans? Uh, Jim with the Buckeyes. Really, that's yeah. saying a lot. Even even though Elric, uh, Mike Elric, of course, who's a, a investigative columnist for us at the Free Press and who's worked at the Free Press probably fifteen times separately. <laughs> <laughs> been hired, hired, left and hired. No, 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 he loves his Spartans and he's supported. He flies all over the country. He he probably spends more money than Jim does, but uh, and he's proud to wear his green and white paraphernalia and gear and all that. But I think it's it's a different level of expectation. So there's a slightly different kind oh. of emotional investment with the, with the Buckeyes. Yeah. And not to put a value on it, but uh, I would say <laughs> Jim a little bit. Oh, you know, okay. Yeah, even though Mike is 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 less stable, of course, than Jim, right, and and crazier in a good way. There's the it's the difference between being rational and calm and going and, and getting fanatical because of your team. So that's the thing. It's the it's the gap between the personalities and Jim that's not as great within Mike. I'm gonna I'm sending an email right when we're done or a text to Elric about this, and when you guys go on Solo Detroit next week. So the first topic you're gonna discuss is how Sean Windsor says that Jim Schaefer is a, a bigger fan of his team than Elric is. So yeah, a better fan. Yeah. I don't know about better, but I just, uh, you know, yeah, it's hard for me to imagine Mike not wanting to be bothered after the game. Like Ben Schmidt, another former great, uh, free, free press, uh, colleague of ours, who was a great, great street reporter, covered the cops and all that sort of thing at the free piece in Pittsburgh. Now he's a Michigan state alum as well. And he tried to text Jim, after the game and got a very, not very nice reply. And, um, basically saying, I told oh, you, I can't to, believe that I told you not to text me. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and some other words that I can't repeat here, but, uh, that's well, you, you what, know, every that's time you what happens, somebody, that's what happens, man. Every time you reference somebody from the free press, it's always the great, great, whatever, Tammy out the great, great. Well, yeah. how do you reference me? Is it just that guy, Carlos? The, no, the, the great Carlos, the, the, girl, the great, the, the great Carl. No, I swear. I, he's a great guy. I promise. No, the great, the great, the great, great Carlos Menares. All right, my man, we've, uh, we were moving right along. Nice. And, uh, Harry jr. Is going to be mad again. Yeah, we were, we were and going and we were going and then, I don't know. Hey, this is, we became whole, human. Yeah, we did. We did. All right. Who do we need to thank Carlos? Let's thank, you know, we're going to thank our producer yet again, Andrew Hammond. And uh, we're also going to, we're going to thank Robin Chan, another producer for the Free Press who makes this podcast possible. They do all the 
all the dirty work, and then the Glory Hounds executive, co-executive editors. Once again, we have not mentioned Anjanette Delgado. This may be our last podcast for that reason. And uh, Kirkland Crawford is our sports editor as well. And the man at the top of the pyramid, of course, who makes it all happen and signs, the, I don't know if he signs the checks. I haven't even seen a check in who knows how long, but no, Peter Batia. Yeah, and we probably won't see anymore. After this, we're going to go on furlough <laughs> and that's going to be that. You know what I mean? We're this not, is we're never, pro bono. This is all we're, we're never, never going to get a call back. Yeah, Glory Hounds is a good <laughs> is a good one, especially for, I mean, Kirk, who you think is mild-mannered and d- 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 behind the scenes, doesn't worry about any of that, but no, he wants all the glory. He does. He wants we also, sure. Yeah, we also need to thank our listeners, right, for... Uh, oh, yes. I mean, it's pretty important. We're, we're not here without them putting up with us. Uh, checking in with us uh, on a weekly basis. And we should uh, remind everybody that you can find us, the Carlson, uh, Free Press Sports with Carlson Shot, wherever you find your favorite podcast, Spotify, Apple. Um, there's got to be other platforms out MySpace. there. Yeah, MySpace. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> in any case, when you get there, subscribe. And uh, you'll get nice, tidy little alerts on your phone. You, it'll just come in and we'll, you'll just hear our voices. You won't even have to do anything. It'll be awesome. You'll be driving along. You're on the Southfield Freeway or you're on uh, Jefferson Avenue or you're on M52, whatever. And all of a sudden you hear Carlos's voice. It's, it's a beautiful thing. This is where we're at with our technology. Anyway, thanks again for listening. And uh, thank you, Carlos, as always. It was, uh, it was great fun. I look forward to it every week. And we will be back next week and talk to you all soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.